I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. You asked, I give. Last week, we discuss the theory behind postseason, no man's land, the time after when you take the break from your last race of the season, no matter what sport you love to do, and you enter the off season, the time, the break, the void, the place where so many make mistakes. This week, we go applied. Yes, we apply the theory to real life case studies, real athletes that we're in the process of helping or have guided with success. Three stories that I'm sure will resonate with many of you listening. The over-obsessed, the winter sloth, and the late chargers who finish a late season race and then feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. I break down each story with each personality. Why? To educate, to provide perspective and help you identify the why behind my most consistent statement that I make as a coach. The barometer of a time-starved athlete's success should be anchored around nailing an appropriate postseason over chasing weekly hours in the heart of race season. Yes, what you do well now is the thing that will determine your opportunity to evolve, break out, and excel in the year ahead. So few realize, but the enlightened know the path. So join me before I sound too evangelical. But before I do, I need to step up and get up here onto a very, very high, hang on, (coughs) yes, here I am, Ah, very high pedal stall. There you go, I'm up here, up above. Now can you hear me over there? I have something to say around the Purple Patch Squaddy update. You see, today is all about postseason by request. After last week's show, I received a lot of requests for me to dig a little deeper and provide some context and real world. Well, today we do that. But before we dive in, I'm bound to mention a couple of things. First, questions. Don't forget, you can ask questions for the show at the Purple Patch podcast page. There's a nice form on the site and we'd love to hear from you. We've gone away from answering too many questions lately, but let's bring them back, team. I'm going to bring back the official questions of the week from next week on. So ask ahead, purplepatchfitness.com, head to the education tab, down to the podcast. We're going to add a link into the show notes, but you can ask any questions you'd like around performance, and I'm happy to choose one or two each week that we can do a little deep dive into the requests and the questions that you guys have. The second, Purple Patch Squad. Last week, we gave a glimpse into the squad, and we received a lot of interest for it. And so, yes, October the 1st begins postseason ramping. Now, the real date that we're going to fall into the very heavy technical work is about October the 15th because we want to try and support our Kona athletes that we have. But many of the squad are currently on what we call their bridge program. So that's the break with structure that we talked a little bit about last week. We're almost priming the pump for postseason. And what's going to happen to the squaddies in postseason? Well, here's a couple of emphasis points that we go through. The first, education curriculum, both with myself and the rest of the Purple Patch coaching team. 
This week's live education video is about utilizing metrics in the analysis of data. Next week, the mature athlete. The week after, managing the menstrual cycle of the female athlete. Yes, we dig into everything, and this is the time of the year that we love to plan and really emphasize education because ultimately, we're not emphasizing deep, heavy, hard training. And we like to dig in. We're also on the platform getting ready to hit the technique phase of the year. And so the Purple Patch Squad is get the deep dive on the how. September the 25th, the Purple Patch athletes can join me and talk about their postseason and how to approach it. And a lot of components around the technical elements of development. And of course, the training itself, setting it up and sharing the journey with your fellow squaddies, aligned with my sessions in San Francisco, mapped to everyone, all aligning with your gadgets and coaching with lots of cues integrated. And so if you're heading to the end of the season, or you need a last minute fitness boost to your final months of your racing, we've got you covered. If you're ready to inspire and commit to this most critical phase that you're talking about, we'd love to help. Now, I think it's important that I'm transparent here. I don't think that the squad or becoming a squaddy is for everyone. It's the same way that not everyone needs a one-to-one coach. And so if you're not sure which program might align, have a chat with us. Reach out for other coaching pages. It might be the squad, it might be coaching, or you might just benefit from the education program where you supplement your coaching journey with your coach or your self-coaching with access to all of the sessions that we talked about, the video sessions, the technical sessions, and of course, the internal Purple Patch Education Library. It's all up for grabs, 25 bucks monthly. But now, let me step back down from the soapbox. Let's come back to the real focus of the podcast, which is education. And so let me just... <coughs> oh. Yep, Uh, get down off the pedal stool, a thousand apologies for my public service announcement, and get back on track. Let's get primed. The warm-up is over. We must, must, must hit the pre-main set before we get into the meat and potatoes. And the pre-main set, yes, kiddies, get the juices flowing. It is that time. Hit it, Barry. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, the word of the week this week is oxygen mask. All right, now you got me. How the heck are you going to apply oxygen masks to performance evolution? Well... Let me explore. I returned this week after leading a two-day executive retreat for the executive team at Bayer, or Bayer is the appropriate way to say it. You know them, the Americans say Bayer, but aspirin, you know, and of course, so much more than that. And it was a wonderful two days with the focus that I got to lead into a sneak behind the curtain on our professional squad, a lot of development on performance culture, leadership, communication, feedback, and of course, how to develop resilience and apply it to their teams that they were leading. But a critical lesson came out of the meeting that was the very simple structure of the two days itself. Bayer asked me to help the executive team in leading resilience and adaptability. Yes, how can we manage or coach through change and and create a performance culture where it opens up the opportunity for each of their team members to thrive? Team 
management culture. And yet, I began with day one being all about self, all about them as leaders and looking after themselves. It wasn't until day two, the second 50% of the whole summit, that we went on to management and leadership. I saw the surprise as I unveiled the agenda, but a critical key component for any manager or coach looking to create performance culture is, you could say, eat your own dog food, or the more pure analogy, make sure that you put your oxygen mask on before helping others. It's critical. You must develop the resilience, the habits, and the backbone of performance success if you are going to authentically assist others in doing so. Now, this doesn't mean that I have to go and do Ironman races, but what I must do is embrace the backbone components of performance. I must live them, and only then am I equipped to apply and lead them. Put your oxygen mask on first. This is the background to becoming a performance leader in sport, work or life. And that is why the word of the week this week is oxygen mask. And with that, let's do it. Let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Yes, folks, the meat and potatoes this week are all anchored around case studies, the applied part of the theory and a little peek behind the curtain of the overall approach. As we think about these athletes that we go through today, we're looking for consistency of how we would coach them. And there are four steps that we typically line any athlete into. This is a circular, ongoing rhythm of coaching. Step one is mission. We need to ensure as a coach and an athlete partnership that we are getting aligned with the goals and the framework. We need to understand the athlete. We need to align with the athlete on mission and the goals along the way. And most importantly, we need critical buy-in from the athlete. They need to understand and align with the mission and the short-term goals to get there. It is only out of then that we can go to step two, which is to set the path. And that means removing the roadblocks for the athlete, defining their role, and ultimately providing them with the intentional focus of how they can be successful. If we have that, we have clarity. We have side-by-side alignment, have clarity of focus on what is going to move the performance needle. And then we get busy doing. Step three, from the path of potential to performance, the actual execution of the plan. And this is where we move into coach mode with everything that you would appreciate around coaching, accountability, feedback, course correction, decision-making to help keep that athlete or employee on track. And then finally, the thing that is oft missed, step four, the re-engagement. You see, once you set the path and the goals, you don't just go down the train tracks all the way on to eternity. You have to stop, come up in the helicopter, gain perspective, the re-engagement, the post-mortem of what has worked so far, what hasn't worked. We must rekindle the mission and refine it if necessary and then inspire the next part of the journey. We're going to approach each of these athletes and case studies today with the same process, as is 
This is how we do it. Exactly that. This is how we do it. Step one, mission. Step two, set the path. Step three, from path to potential, we start to execute. And finally, re-engage. Step four. Our three candidates that we're going to talk through. The first, John, a triathlete who plans to race a winter marathon. And he has his first Ironman in the back of his mind for next year. The second, Emma. She finished last season and took a complete break, as in, I'm not doing anything, turning back on my sport. And then she came back in January with heavy, lofty ambitions. So we look in history. What can we do different this year to really help her perform? And finally, Melissa, the late season racer, missing postseason in the classic sense. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, this is a wonderful time to remind you, head back so that you can really understand the tenets of postseason. But if she's racing in late November, I'm in Arizona, in Melissa's case, what's the approach? And so let's go through each of them. And I hope that you draw from these and start to understand how to effectively manage an approach postseason. You do not have to be a triathlete to draw the lessons here. And so with that, let's get cracking. The first candidate up for the chopping block. Come on, John. You're the triathlete. So John is a triathlete. He loves to do Ironman racing. He's planning to do an Ironman race next year, but he also loves a good winter marathon. And so how should he approach it? Well, let's go through his profile first. John is 47 years of age. He lives in Sacramento. So I hope you guys of the Sacramento Tri Club don't actually understand and appreciate who John is, although we're not going to pick him apart too bad here. So if you do know John, well, be nice to him. He finished the 70.3 or the half Ironman season, planning to do an Ironman next year, and he's registered for the Cal International Marathon with a bunch of his friends. So the Cal International Marathon is in Sacramento. It's in early December for you guys that are listening. Cal being California, of course. So let's first talk when we think about John and we frame him and his decision making. Let's first talk about the placing of the marathon. And let's establish one thing, because this is very common amongst triathletes. There is a question, will a marathon in the winter months help him for his Ironman experience next year? And the answer to that is no, not at all. It will have no help. A standalone marathon is a different beast. And so beyond it being an experience and maybe, maybe, maybe just a touch of confidence if it goes well, from a physiological and training standpoint, it is not going to equip John to have a better marathon off the bike next year. So the trouble begins for John and athletes like John if he decides to shut off the multi-sport approach and in parentheses, trains for a marathon. This is the approach where so many see a lack of evolution, an overall performance decline as a multi-sport athlete, and of course, so many get injured. So does this mean if we realize that a standalone marathon isn't going to necessarily physiologically help him for his big goal next year, and we don't want him to, quote, train for a marathon in the classic sense, should he not do it? The answer is no, he should do it. He should do it. This is sport. It's not a second job. He's amateur. And there is always a way for an amateur. But the key, in my opinion, is how. 
So let's throw John's experience as having the bigger mission of successfully doing an Ironman at the same time having a short-term goal of doing a marathon. Let's throw it into the churn. Remember, mission, set the path, path potential to executional performance, and finally re-engagement. So we go to mission first. What do we know about John and how would we guide him? Well, the how of the approach is important for both his success in the short-term goal, but also the longer-term journey to an Ironman. And we must, as the coach, get buy-in. John and I must be facing the same direction with the mission and the underlying goal and focus, or the marathon is going to become a conflict on his journey. So the first component is establishing the mission. And if you cast the lens out further, it is ultimately the driver being a progression towards a first-time Ironman finish. This is the big fish in the journey. This is his North Star. In the short term, his marathon. So we must get aligned on what success looks like there. And we come to this. Number one, enjoy the process and have a wonderful race all within context of the bigger journey. He'd like to put out an honest effort and make sure that he arrives prepared. After all, this isn't about driving John out to the desert and saying, I hope you can walk home. He might survive, but it's not going to be very enjoyable. So he wants to be able to work hard on the marathon day and feel like he's arrived and prepared. At the same time, He doesn't want the training and preparation for this marathon to distract or deflate from the chance to be successful in the long term. And so, yes, in a way, he kind of wants his cake and eat it at the same time. But the good news is it is possible. He can do it as an amateur athlete. And so now let's get to the path. We agree that this is a stepping stone and it is a mild distraction, but we're going to aim to fit it in within context of the master component. He is a multi-sport athlete seeking Ironman performance. And so with this alignment of purpose, we can establish the short-term project within the bigger game. And for success here, we have to establish a practical approach, but also give John the highly specific focus What is his role in this? What does he need to think about and execute? And it must be linked to the mission to be successful. So what we came up in this scenario for John was this breakdown. Number one, we want to maintain the multi-sport approach, multiple disciplines. His swim is his weakness. And so he must continue to develop but we can also lean into the benefits of the cardiovascular conditioning that comes from swimming and the more frequent intensity that we can hit because it's not weight bearing. And so we must continue to swim. We can't afford to turn our back on that discipline. It is weakness. We want to develop it, but at the same time, we can leverage it because the great thing about swimming is that it is non-weight bearing. You can swim really hard more often. And that's going to help feed overall cardiovascular conditioning. We also decided to develop riding resilience. And that included a lot of strength-based riding with stronger efforts at higher intensity. This strength-based or low-cadence riding acts to develop resilience and provide a backbone for future riding, but is also an incredibly low-risk approach to conditioning. The nice thing about bike riding is the sport actually links well into running globally. There tends to be this cross-pollination effect with no real issue of adding it in. 
And then the final component was to wrap these two multi-sport components, swimming and riding, with, and here's the lens or the framework that I talked about, just enough running load. What? Just enough, you say? Sure. We wanted to ramp his frequency, he's getting ready for a marathon, but we want to also lean into the other sports. And instead of just pumping up a whole bunch of long, slow distance, accumulating long miles, instead, we want to do it in a really pragmatic way that could develop the resilience and the muscular rigidity to be able to sustain effort over the course of a marathon without risk of injury. And so, we integrated double runs. So that included days where you did an AM run and a PM run, or what I would call cluster runs. So rather than loading with classical big run every single week, which depletes is a high risk of fatigue and injury, it was a cluster of runs. Run Friday, double day on Saturday, and potentially an endurance ride or endurance run on Sunday. So we had minimal super long runs that were corrosive. The final component hit the strength. We wanted to do this to still build a robust frame. Remember, next year is an Ironman. And so we want to use this opportunity to have baseline resilience and core and joint support and strengthening. Very useful at 30 kilometers of a marathon as form begins to deteriorate. Following this overall picture, we then took a lens to the months following the marathon and decided on a slower start to the triathlon season. This is a wonderful way to remove the internal pressure for John, but also give a little bit of breathing room for his future swim project. And of course, a little bit of a lower run emphasis, not an exclusion, but just a lower run emphasis for the two months following his marathon. With this alignment, we now had mission. We now had a preparation or a plan for marathon preparation within context of the mission. And he knew his role. Swimming had a role to play. Bike riding still had a role to play. And the running amplified in emphasis, but in a pragmatic way that wouldn't lead him to overall muscular fatigue as he really entered towards the end of the calendar year. The path to performance, step three. So this is where, off of the back or the platform of all of our planning, the real coaching came in. And a few key points for John to consider here. The first was that he must, as he started training for this, remain committed to the path. And he also had to maintain perspective. It's so natural to get drawn into a classic marathon mindset. But instead, he is... In his lens, I am a multi-sport athlete. I am preparing for a marathon with just enough running, but I have to lean in to the multidisciplinary approach. I mustn't get drawn into just counting miles. We also needed to have education on how this linked. So shifting perspective and keeping in his own track And so, yes, the heavy part of this was ongoing accountability and education for myself. And finally, making sure that he could stick to his path. A tremendous amount of feedback, particularly and ensuring that my coaching feedback anchored more around, and this is going to surprise you, swim technical development. Looking for signs of run progression 
and making sure that he could join the dots to how he was improving and getting ready for run performance rather than just using mileage as the barometer. So let me give you an example of that. Yes, John, you haven't got to do a 22-mile run. But if we look back at Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you just accumulated more than 22 miles over the course of those three days. And it was overall at an average pace that was out or faster than what you hope to run your marathon. And that is readiness. That is safe readiness to do it. So John continued on his journey. He went and had his race. Yes, he was successful. Although probably speaking frankly, I probably wouldn't use him as a case study. But now it was all over. Success, a fun and wonderful experience. And he retained his health and his energy. He was a happy man. But now comes the critical piece, re-engage and inspire for the next path. So with John, it was these steps. Number one, take a break. He finishes late in the season, but he still had to take a break. Number two, come up a level. What were the lessons from this experience? How could we draw on this moldy spork approach that seemed to be so successful for him and without injury? And what could we apply to his upcoming Ironman journey. And then, of course, begin the process again. But with the experience of this marathon, but now moving on to the next goal, what do we need to engage on? How do we now need to set and revise the plan ahead? How do we need to re-establish mission and focus? And, of course, my job for a coach, getting 100% buy-in from John. And, yes, then the journey continues. So that's case study one. Let's see who's next. Mildred, Mildred, who's next? Please send them in. Ready for Dr. Dixon. Here we go, guys. Emma, I insist that I won't give her the nickname The Sloth, but that is the action of her behaviours and her take onto racing historically. So let's frame it. Emma is a highly dedicated athlete in a very busy life, ambitious, driven to success, and frustrated with the results. She's just finished another season and she had to navigate yet again, I might add, injury and the results that just weren't what expected. She was fit, but performance wasn't there. So the most critical part that I had to do was nail down a diagnosis. It's easy to celebrate when things go right, but when things are going wrong, how do we diagnose and make sure that we take the appropriate action? We're in the diagnosis, it was very clear, but I must be successful in showing the picture to Emma. The only path to behaviour change was education first and then buying before action. There's very little point me just saying, Emma, this is what you should do. Instead, I have to come up and I have to take Emma with me and say, this is the picture, this is what I see, and ensure that she aligns and sees the same thing. And it is then, once we've identified the problem, that we can start to map the route to success. And so, at season's end, she's exhausted mentally and physically. She's given so much. And to her reporting, she's been less present with kids and family. Now, we could go on the same thing that she always does, a structural hiatus, no framework, little bit of riding, swimming once a week, touch of yoga occasionally, fit, 
but readiless. So the positive to this lack of framework is in her previous experience, it would give a breathing room. And by the end of this break, it would give Emma high anticipation and eagerness for the big drive that would fuel their work for the coming months ahead. But when she was eager and she did anticipate coming back to work, she wasn't fit. And she ultimately had to climb her way back out to any sort of fitness. You see, three months of being a sloth will always take its toll. And so there we were at the start of last year, January, new year, new you, back here we come. And what entailed was an eight week period of fitness build. But the challenge for Emma, like so many athletes, is that her cardiovascular fitness was so much faster developed than her muscular resilience. It always is. And few athletes can carry the patience, and she certainly wasn't one. And so therefore, injuries begin. And the rest of the year, she spends her time chasing the tail, always behind the eight ball. The driver was fitness, power, pace, FTP, power, pace, FTP. So my question for her coming to the end of this year was, where was the phase of technical work? Where was the chance to truly develop as an athlete? She was forced by nature and by timing to rush back into race-specific training. And so she needed a break, but at the same time, her prior habits were forcing her to have the big need to find more consistency and the opportunity for global athlete development. So how do we break this cycle? How do we enable her to set the roadmap to success? Mission, setting the path, path to performance, re-engagement. The mission for Emma was simple, create a pathway to break the frustration cycle. What we were looking for was a season of health. Notice that I didn't talk about Hawaii Ironman qualification or podium or anything else around performance. What we were looking for is a healthy athlete that could develop at a personal level. So our mission was to create control and ultimately establish a catalogue of racing over the course of the season. But she had to buy in to a carefully planned framework and structure in the postseason. While at the same time, we had to establish that she shouldn't make sure that she should ensure that it wasn't mentally overloading. So I wanted to straddle the emotional break, the practical break with this backbone of framework. And this is where so many athletes challenge. And so we aligned on a low commitment structure. Do you notice those words? A low commitment structure. What that means practically over the course of postseason, about a seven to eight week uh, period, was seven hours a week of training instead of her normal 12, almost 50% of training load. But those hours were specific and framed and structured and progressive. So now we are entering a full season and we are, our mission after this postseason is going to be retaining the patience but only execute 10, 11, maybe 12 hours a week. So we wanted to create breathing room to turn the volume up of intensity, to turn it up of focus. And so with this, it suddenly became palatable. Look, 
You don't need to maintain the always on and full on mindset. Come back, give yourself breathing room, but we don't do random. We have to put at least some structure around the progression. Make it a magical seven hours that's going to help you develop technically and globally so that then you have a platform of preparation to go and optimize those first eight weeks that last year you were chasing your tail. And so I had athlete buy-in. So we set the path. I must proceed with caution. We look for mini successes or what we call small victories. And it was critical for me to not overwhelm. This is less about intervention and more shifting the ship in the right direction. And so in creating the program, my mission is to provide a lot of flex in the program. I also wanted to integrate a whole bunch of different activities, yoga, hiking, strength class, just add another supporting strength that's highly specific from me. I wanted to ensure that she never did more than 50 to 60% of her regular training hours, but just providing that backbone to the break rather than thinking I'm still training full on. And then it was important for me to define her focus. What should you be focusing on right now, Emma? And it was two things. Number one, technical development in the swim. That's not about power, pace, FTP technically improve in the swim. And the second component is the driving component behind the mission of postseason. I want you to prepare your body for upcoming work. You notice the difference there? Prepare your body for upcoming work. You're not trying to gain fitness. Your barometer of success is not getting faster, stronger, or more powerful. You are simply in a very unsexy way, admittedly, but it's only for 50% of your regular training hours, preparing your body for work. So now we put it into the path to performance. And this was important as Emma had shifted her behavior. So as we go and execute, it was now critical to maintain the lens. Her instinct was all in or all out. And I had to prevent her from doing more. You see, If you recommit, you go back to normal athlete behavior, habits. I'm all in. Let's do this. I want the validation. And so instead of focusing on the sessions, we keep all of the feedback around technique and consistency, but we never talk about performance and fitness. We also don't want to be overpowering. And so discussions more focused around planning and less on performance measurement. And the final persuasion is for her to be guided by feeling over metrics for these months. Fitness, remember, cannot be the goal. To re-engage, of course, step four, the result. We want her to thrive in having bumpers on her journey because a few of us really thrive in chaos and we know that random isn't effective. And so we want her to find a different validation. And the root of validation is more in technique and strength development, as well as preparing. I am developed my robustness and ready to maximize work ahead. So Emma has the scope to engage in the new season and turn it up, but not from the starting point of before, which was in the ditch, but giving a running start. 
And so applying the lessons and maintain patience, she doesn't need to become an instant hero. And at the same time, she doesn't need to go this year ahead from zero to 60 because she's already humming along at 40 or 45 miles an hour. This experience is the catalyst for a success. It removes the angst, the chase, the fear, but also allowing the emotional space for rejuvenation. Postseason isn't about hard charging or getting ahead of the competition in the classic mindset. In Emma's case, success isn't working harder and it isn't about boosting FTP. It's a cessation of the self-sabotage of which she was, truthfully, blissfully unaware. And our final case study for today, folks, Mildred, send her in. It's Melissa, the late season racer. So what about if, like so many, your race goes well into the meat of when most people are hitting the brakes and charging onto postseason? For our squaddies, postseason starts around October 1st, just around the corner. And yet Melissa has her last race in early December. Postseason's almost over by then. How can she possibly keep racing two months more without missing out on that break? Well, it's okay to be different, Melissa. There are no rules that cannot be bent. We just need to bend them to you. So let's talk about Melissa's profile. She's 42. She's a mum of two. Summers are incredibly busy with family, traveling kids, and she trains well. But of course, it's not a great time for personal focused goals. And so her best races and historically her best racing occurs in the fall. And so what we want to talk through is how to enable or open up the opportunity to have her racing experience at the same time keep her on track with her groupies or squaddies and her teammates and keep her in the rhythm of overall athlete development. Well, let's talk about mission first as we did with the other athletes. Melissa had a clear and obvious goal, her December race, and we would never compromise a key race at the end of the year. And so we had to align on the short-term mission, but also the longer-term approach to ensure development and success next year. We can't be myopic in approach. So we became aligned on a few things. The first, absolutely set up the best plan for December race. No compromise. The second, she needed a break following. And the third was the desire to still develop, improve technique and be here at the same time next year, emotionally and physically fresh and better to have and ready to have even better performances because it's a year in advance in our overall development. And so with that alignment, we could go short-term thinking. With that alignment, we can actually set the path. Now, we don't need to talk about the race plan going into December because that's a discussion for another day. But we do know that Melissa rightfully ignored the postseason focus leading into the race. She charged with race-specific training to prepare her as well as she could for performance. The path-setting and focus, Melissa, came all in the aftermath of the race. And so, step one, you're going to commit to a break. It's so easy to rush back in because all of your friends and pals have already been off for a couple of months but it's a long year to train and race into December. So she needed a longer break. And we decided to have three weeks 
because it aligns really nicely with the holiday season. So she had a longer break to marinate, to clean out, to rejuvenate. We then had that with one week off and then two weeks at about a 30 to 40% structure. And it was all focused on strength and technique work only. Then of course, launching into the new year, we come back to the saying, new year, new you. So easy just to charge right in. But we had to squeeze somewhat of postseason into this. Well, the rest of the squad is we're moving into our next phase of training, our build phase. And that's all about developing resilience for the next 12 to 16 weeks. So setting the path for Melissa, we did a hybrid. We adapted and said the initial six weeks of build we were going to integrate but instead do it with a much lower stress. We didn't want to keep her away for a training group for too long, so go and do the first six weeks, but with an evolved mindset and an evolved practical emphasis. The commitment, and that's a dual commitment between myself and Melissa, was a low focus on fitness gains and a much greater emphasis on technique. We wanted to have a very high emphasis on high patience, but at the same time, We wanted to keep her with her peers and her training group. So it was more about adapting the build work to suit her mindset and where she was rather than being isolated and individually doing post-season. All that entailed, pull down the intensity expectations, set the mindset, execute the training with a technical focus. In support of that, and to remove some of the internal stress, she chose a later start to next season. Her spring marathon was replaced for some fun and local 10K races, and she waited for the bigger challenges in the earlier fall of the upcoming year. And so now we move into the coaching, the path to performance. Well, in this case from Melissa, the real coaching needed to happen in January. Because it was so important for me to develop perspective, to enable her to come up and see where she had been, athletes have very short memories, and where she wanted to go. I had to drive all of the feedback around technique and strength development and de-emphasize the fitness gains. I wanted to under-prescribe the initial build because that was, in parentheses, her kind of postseason, and give her room to breathe and evolve. At the same time, I wanted to keep her in sync with the group. But with her own association with the work, she must maintain focus on her needs and therefore have a different relationship with the training, and I had to support it. Now, these types of athletes require frequent checkpoints. So the re-engagement in this athlete is actually the reward of the break, making sure that we educate on the benefits and ensure that post-winter, we get a great alignment on the focus and the requirement to train in parallel. And so, remember that she typically did a marathon, we took something away from her. You need to give these types of athletes a reward. And so, We inspired with a fresh and exciting goal, post-race, post-December, take a break but come back and put a different challenge on the table. What can you do for a 10k? There is space to chase this, drive towards a short-term goal that fits where you're at 
And guess what? Different is good. You've always done a marathon. Let's do something fun and different and fits within the programming globally. And here is the coaching moment. You cannot remove something for the greater good. You have to partner with the athlete to find meaning and inspiration in the quest. And so the coach's job is to create the pieces of the puzzle, but then ensure that you don't get to the end with one piece missing. Now, for Melissa, this was empowering because we achieved most of what we could do within the context of the race. It was okay to race, but was postseason optimal? No, it wasn't, but it was there and it was integrated. And what we did do was avoid racing into chasing. We got the break, we gave ourselves room, and then it was optimizing the next path within the context of her peers and her social support and her life and racing schedule. And so if you do decide to race an Ironman in December, it's likely not best to chase an Ironman in March, at least with the same mindset and approach for both. Something has to give. Now, I hear some of you guys, the enthusiasts, what we call the chamois sniffers. Well, what about XX? Perhaps you could call me out for Meredith Kessler and a consistent Ironman Arizona into Ironman New Zealand, or Laura Siddle, who raced Kona and then followed it up with the Wanaka, Challenge Wanaka Ironman distance race in February. Yes, they did that. Am I a carpetbagger? No. Two important points on those types of athletes. Number one, they are professional athletes. It's a little different with the decisions you make. But secondly, the way that they trained for those winter races, single day events in February and March was completely different than the way that they trained for their events in the fall. They were so fit as professional athletes that we would simply sneak Ironman racing into a type of racing that would resemble, or a type of training that would resemble much more Olympic distance type training. And so we stretch to race the winter races without effectively training for them. But anyway, back to message. There we have it, folks. Postseason applied. Melissa, Emma, and John. Three athletes, three scenarios. All successful with the application of a practical lens and commitment, not a commitment of obsession, nor one of hard charging. Instead, a commitment of two things. Number one, a break to rejuvenate. But number two, a program that sets up and prepares them for acceleration and growth in the coming year without causing deep fatigue, mental anguish, or a lack of opportunity to spread focus appropriately to other parts of life. They removed the obsession but they extinguished the random. Postseason, the backbone of a great season, but one that is so often ignored to an athlete's peril. A smart approach will be your baseline to big gains. So are you going to join me? I'd love it if you would. Reach out to me if you need me. Tis the time. Take care. Until next time, enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. 
Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!